All right. And I, we're going to pray in just a moment. And uh, I want to uh, introduce a guest speaker we have today. He and his, uh, his wife have been with us for year and a half or two years here at Access Church and travel from Zone 18 area and uh, where they, they are part of the Nazarene Seminary compound, complex. And, um, and so it, our privilege today to have them with us, they have, um, my brother Ed has uh, 40, 40 years. You wouldn't think he's that old even, but, uh, but he's got 40 years uh, in ministry, pastoral ministry in the United States and uh, Oregon and Idaho. And they've been here now in Guatemala and learning Spanish and implementing uh, ministry here. And so it's my privilege today to introduce my, my, my good brother, my fun brother, uh, Ed Nichols. Ed and Kim, good to have you with us today. Come and bless us w- with the word today and let me pray over, over you. Thank you. Father, we thank you today for the privilege God, of knowing you and walking with you, I thank you for the body of Christ, and I thank you for these that have made a commitment today to their finances. God bless them, each one, as they start, and these seeds that are sown, may, they, may you protect them from the enemy, and may we see great fruit in the kingdom, God, from this time they have invested. And today I pray for my brother Ed today, God, he, he's a blessing to me and to many here in Guatemala. I pray today preaching would be easy for him as he shares here in this environment for the first time. And, and God, we just pray as you have poured into him that you would allow him to be your, your, your vessel and, and you, your mouthpiece, your spokesperson today. May uh, you bring the word of God alive for us and with clarity today. Give us ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Oh, now I get to get ready for this. Actually, I've been getting ready for this. Just to let you know, God has been doing some things in my life over the last several years. And this message is one of those things that he's been doing in me. And so I'm going to use some fairly common phrases to start and see if you can finish them. God so loved the... Right? That he sent his son. Correct? Which is why we're here. It's because of the love of God for his people. Now, I have been reading the Bible through at least once, maybe twice a year for the last 12, 13 years. Which means fairly large sections of scripture at a time. And what I've discovered from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the end is this desire of God and his love for his people and the desire for obedience from his children. Amen? Amen? Obedience from his children. I've been reading in Jeremiah. If you've not read Jeremiah for a little while, it can be kind of depressing because Jeremiah is giving the prophetic statement of what's going to happen to the people of Israel. And it's not pretty. It's kind of ugly right? But in that is always God's desire for his people to turn to him and trust him and worship him and and be used of him. Everywhere in the Old Testament, it's there. So there's something happened in the New Testament, and it said, they'll know we are Christians by our... Oh, that was pathetic. They'll know we are Christians by our... See? Something, I think, sometimes changes in us as followers of Christ. 
When we first come to know him, there's this joy and there's this hope and there's this whole process of what God is doing, how he's transformed us through the power of his spirit and how he walks with us. And it seems to me, after 40 plus years of ministry, I've discovered something that happens to us in that discipleship process. We can come to the place where we think we got it together and they don't. And love wanes. And we become lukewarm. And our passion for the very things of God subsides. I remember as a young Christian in my teens, being excited about what God has done and sharing it. And I had a brother come to me and say, yeah, I know you're excited now, but one day you'll be like us and it won't be that big of a deal. Oh, God, help me never be that. Help me never be that. May from this point forward in my life that people will know that I know Jesus because I love. May from this point forward in my life, people will know I obey him, I worship him, I serve him, because I love him. You see, the realization for me is, as, as, a, as a believer, after all these years in ministry and all the ups and downs of pastoral ministry and working with people, who are just as fickle as they've ever been, just like me. That my motivation for obedience needs to be love. Needs to be love. Let me share with you just a really quick story before we look into Scripture. Years ago, as a young man, uh, young, I was probably 20 years old. I was 19 when I started working as an associate pastor in the church. Uh, my wife and I at the time were really having some struggles. Uh, neither one of us came from a very good family. They were very, it was a very dysfunctional families, and we were having some conflict. And, and uh, I grew up in a home where uh, we had chores and you had to do them. One of my jobs was to wash the dishes. And I despised washing the dishes. Amen. I despised it. So in our married life and taking out the garbage and those little things, it came out toward my wife. And we had this battle going on. And I happened to be under my second pastor, pastor and wife team. They were both ordained. He was a teacher. She was a preacher. I'd much rather listen to her preach any day over him because she was a preacher. I mean, she could preach. But, but I'm telling you, it wasn't going well. And they had us over for dinner. I can still see it in my mind. You know, I can see those images in the living room. And we just finished a wonderful Sunday lunch. And my wife went into the kitchen with the pastor's wife and the pastor. I mean, they, they were one and the same. And I went into the living room, as we normally do as men, away from washing the dishes. And this pastor sat me down and he said, what is going on between the two of you? It's not good. So I explained everything and he said this to me. With great wisdom, he said, you think you could do something for two weeks? Two weeks is all I'm asking, just two weeks. 
Just try this for two weeks. Yeah, I can, I could do anything for two weeks. Right? I want you to wash the dishes as an act of love for your wife. I want you to pick up your own clothes and put them in the hamper as an act of love for your wife. I want you to take the garbage out as an act of love for your wife. It's a gift of love to her each time. Can you do that? <sighs> yeah. I, I think I can do that. It transformed our relationship and my life. If you were to ask my adult children today, and one day I'd love to have them here so you could meet them, what was the one thing your that dad did every day your whole life? They would say, he washed the dishes. Now, as it got a little older, if I cooked, my wife washed the dishes. Um, I mean, those kind of things took place. In fact, I even wanted a step further, guys. And most Don't talk to me about this afterwards, guys, because most guys would come and say, why did you say that? Now my wife's going to expect it. <laughs> I even started cleaning the bathrooms as a gift for my wife. The toilets, right? I, I think I've heard Fontaine something say something about bathrooms being plugged and need to be done. How about if maybe we clean the bathroom in God's church as an act of love toward Him. See, it changed my life because now all of a sudden the reason I did things wasn't because I was afraid of punishment or discipline from God, but all of a sudden now I could actually do things out of obedience, out of my love for God. And I don't know about you, but as a young man in my background, when I came to know Jesus, I didn't know such love existed for me. It transformed me in so many different ways. Then I went to college. I got a call to be a minister. I went through all the education. I got a little arrogant. And love kind of waned. And so did the enjoyment of life. So as we look at this very familiar story today, obedience uh, motivated by love, we're going to look at a, a familiar story of uh, the Good Samaritan. Any of you ever heard that before? Yes. It's in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and it's in other sections of scriptures as well, but uh, this is the one I like, so I picked it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the thing I noticed right away is it's amazing this. Isn't it amazing? I've been reminded of this again. They were testing the Son of God to make sure his theology was correct from their perspective. They were testing the Son of God to make sure he understood what the scriptures and the law said and how to apply them correctly. Sound familiar? We do the same thing in the Church of Nazarene. We have a candidate come for ministry. They come to these wonderful meetings. 
If you've ever been in one of those, you wouldn't consider them wonderful, and you're grilled about your theology. We want to make sure there's a certain amount of truth here. We want to make sure that this person's solid, that they really do know Jesus, that they're in the process of walking the walk and talking the talk based upon what they believe that's on the inside of them. I think that's what kind of was happening here. But I want to point something else out here that's probably even more important is the individuals who are testing Jesus believe that they earn their salvation and they earn the right by observing the law. And in my 40 years of ministry, I, can, I see as some point in our spiritual journey, some point in that journey, there's a critical point. And I, I want to, it, it equates a lot even to teenage years, I think. Maybe a spiritual journey, maybe you're a spiritual teenager and you're at this place where it's more about doing the right thing than it is being right on the inside. So what must I do? And if I have my own list, and almost all of us do as people who are Christians, a list of do's, typically a list of don'ts, do's and don'ts, and that becomes my focus of why I do and don't do things, um, I'm in trouble. Let me, let me read you a little statement from Paul out of um, Galatians chapter 5. And they don't have, you don't have that in, the, in, your, in your thing, but that's okay. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about this. Paul was dealing with a group of people in Galatians who were telling the believers in order for them to be Christians, they needed to follow the Old Testament law to be saved. And one of the big issues for the Gentiles was a thing called circumcision. And Paul's response in this letter to this is very important. Chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We should celebrate that statement. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Whether it be sin or whatever that's a yoke of slavery, don't let it happen again. Mark my words, Paul says. I tell you that you let, if you let any of yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You who are trying to be justified by the law, listen to that. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and you've fallen away from grace. And I tell you, folks, if we fall away from grace, we're in trouble. No matter what you believe about that particular piece, we're in trouble. We're in trouble right in the moment. We're in trouble. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. The test, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was the question. And Jesus, of course, the wise teacher he was, asked the expert in the law a question. Verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? Can you just see this? Jesus looks at him and says, hey, basically, you're an expert in the law. How do you read it? What is it that you think you need to do? 
to inherit eternal life. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wisely said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And you think we'd be done with it right there. Okay, just passed the test. Yeah, he agrees with me, which is usually what we do to pass the test. But then he stops and he says, wait a second. But he wanted to justify himself. Isn't that an interesting statement? He wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wanted to justify his own actions in doing. And I don't know any human being on the face of the earth who doesn't want to do that. I'm okay because I do this, right? Yeah. Amen? I'm okay because Jesus saved my soul. He lives in my heart today, and he walks, he walks with me everywhere I go. Whatever it is, we want to know that we're okay. So we ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop there and get back to that answer in just a bit. Years ago, I was a young pastor. I preached on a similar section of scripture, and we had a men's breakfast once a month in this church, and <laughs> a big guy. He was probably 6'8", six, 6'9", six, maybe 380, big farmer. Sat across the table from me. Midway through the time, he says, Pastor, <coughs> you don't know my neighbor. He can't be loved. What you said Sunday was wrong. That's not true. I don't have to love my neighbor when they're that bad. Now, I did something I've never done again because it was probably stupid. You ever done those things that were kind of stupid? I opened the Bible up to this section of Scripture and I said, I didn't say it. Jesus did. He reached across the table to grab me by the neck. I backed up enough to where he couldn't. You see, he wanted to be justified in his hatred for his neighbor. I had another friend, I've dealt counseling with people, but this was a friend, and he came to me and he said, Ed, I, <coughs> I know I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. I know I'm supposed to do that. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but I hate myself. I hate the person I am. How can I love people when I hate me? Great question. We'll deal with that after we deal with the story, all right? Because there is a way. So Jesus tells this little parable, which some of you could probably quote word for word, right? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him up on his don- own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, if you don't know the background of the Jewish people, they despise the Samaritans. So if we're going to put this in the proper context, and I don't know you all well enough, but if there's a group of people that you think are the lowest of the lows and you don't want to associate, you won't hang out with them, you won't have anything to do with them, whatever it might be in your culture, and there's multiple cultures here, that's who did what a neighbor does. You understand? The two individuals, the Levite and the priest, the priest is probably going along and he does, if the guy is dead, he's going to have to go through this cleansing process and he can't serve, he can't serve in the temple. So he avoids him. The Levite probably did the same thing. Somebody else would take care of it. Do you think this answered the expert in the law's question about who's the neighbor? In this section of scripture, it's pretty clear to me is, is that whoever is close to me is my neighbor. It might not even anybody I've ever met in my life. That's my neighbor. In fact, right now, everybody in this room are neighbors. Right? You're sitting around neighbors, the people that are close to you, the people that maybe you have never met before in your life. They're your neighbors. Guess who you're supposed to love as yourself? Mm. Amen? They'll know we are Christians by our love. It struck me as uh, what Jesus said next here. He asked this question, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him to go and do likewise. Now, I want to talk a little bit about something that's quite unique for us. Before I became a believer, I didn't have that kind of love. And my guess is, before you became a believer, neither did you. And maybe even today you're saying, well, I'm not sure I'm a believer I even have that kind of love. Hmm, you've received it. You've received it from God by the grace of him giving you salvation, forgiveness, the joy, the hope, all those things. No matter what, everything is in him. The assurance is in Jesus. There's only one way I know of where you can actually give that kind of love is you have to receive it. You personally have to receive the supernatural God kind of love that only comes through Jesus, that brings you cleansing in your heart and your life, that empowers you by the Holy Spirit to be able to love, that challenges your basic belief systems all the rest of your life. And I believe, as I even read scriptures this morning, in my book, I have this plan where I'm reading in the Old Testament Psalms or Proverbs and then I read a section out of the New Testament and then there's an Old Testament stuff and I'm about three quarters of the way through the reading. And in Thessalonians, Paul's telling those folks, 
You're already known for your love. Love more. Love deeper. Love more than you ever had before. And the only way I know to do that is for me to love God more. There's a direct correlation in my love and my service to God with each other. And when we love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and spirit, and love our neighbor as ourselves, we fulfill all of the law. In fact, it's so much so that I don't know any other way to really serve him than to love. To love more deeply. And today, if you find yourself at a place in your own life where you're recognizing it's not there, I hate my neighbor. God, help me to love my neighbor. I've been doing things because I have to, not because I love. I've been doing things out of fear that I'm going to be condemned to hell instead of my love and my thankfulness to the God who gave me his son because he loves the world. The motive behind obedience, what God desires in us, is for us to love him from the very beginning it's clear in scripture for us to love him with all of our heart soul and mind and spirit right all of who we are to love him as he makes a wonderful change at the very core of our being and it's been a little while since you had that kind of joy and passion in your life how's your love life with God is it lukewarm or is it hot and passionate? Right? And, and really, um, I just listened to, the, we used to do financial peace in the churches I did, and, and I realized that Scripture gives very clear direction about what finances is to be, and I've told people, yeah, you're probably not going to go to hell for not doing what you needed to do, but you're missing the blessing in your life that God means for you to have. You're missing the blessing that he wants to give to you, and to me, and to all of us. And the same is true with the right motivation of obedience. You have not lived as a Christian until you're doing the things you're doing because you get to, because you love him. Because then joy comes in, excitement. You get to see God work in ways you've never seen before. Now, just to let you know, I pastored in one church for over 20 years. I built a new building. We did all those things. Um, and then God kind of called us to a different direction um, in life. And I've kind of bounced around to different places since then. And one of my experiences with my wife at this point is we lived in a little town in Oregon, Central Oregon, called Culver. I pastored a small church there. Um, as my, my district superintendent said, it's like a five-year interim, and it really was kind of like that. And then um, my wife got a job 165 miles away in a school district that was Monday through Thursday. Got the picture? That's a long ways for here, but it's about three, three and a half hours, sometimes five, depending on snow in that part of the world. And so we would live in this little town called Paisley while she taught, and I ended up volunteering in the cafeteria. Um, I started driving bus for the school district there and another 45 miles away. And at one point I said to God, what are you doing? It was very different than any ministry I've ever been involved in. 
And uh, what's the direction? What, you want, what do you want me to do? And I'm confused. And he said this. He said, I want you to love people wherever you're at. Kind of profound, isn't it? Now I think back about, well, I should have been doing that anyway. Right? Wherever I was at, I was to love them with the love of Jesus. Could you imagine what could take place when that happened? I became like a pastor in three different communities, uh, almost 200 miles apart. I'm driving bus, loving on kids, loving other bus drivers. Bus driver says, hey, could I, could we go out for breakfast this morning? I just need to talk to you. He didn't know I was a pastor. He didn't know what I did otherwise. Now where are we at? We travel all over, quite honestly, with what we do for ministry for the Church of Nazarene, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Hmm, still works here. Love people where you're at. They are your neighbor. The person in front of you in the supermarket line. Love them. I, I kid around and I say in the United States, it's almost taboo to say anything when you're in an elevator to people. You say, quiet, not me. I mean, I've started conversations in the men's bathroom with men. Do you do that, guys? Well, I've got some strange looks through, the, through that time. But I connect with people because I love them. And I love them because God loves me. With all of my faults and all of my insecurities and all of my failures, he didn't, I'm not saved because I've been successful at everything I've done. I'm saved because of his love for me. I don't need to practice a form of legalism to justify my life. So I'm going to challenge you today. A little statement. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Learn what it means from God's perspective to love your neighbor wherever you're at. He will teach you. He will challenge you. You'll be frustrated with yourself. Now, my wife could tell you I have an issue with loving my neighbor. It's in traffic. Amen? And even this week as I'm getting ready to preach, God says, Ed, that person that almost hit you is your neighbor. That person that cut you off <laughs> is your neighbor. The person who's sitting, reading their cell phone, and there's 25 cars that have moved in front of them, they're your neighbor. How's that work? Now, I started at one point of actually telling God to bless them. Instead of saying... But you get out of the way and being grumpy. And I probably, I need to work on that some more. But, but I, I want to tell you, there are ways that God's going to challenge your thinking process. And today, I'm, I'm going to close. But can I just give you a blessing today? I believe, in, I believe that we need to bless each other. May the peace of God and his love and his grace and his mercy and all of what he has bubble and flow out of you so that you cannot control the love and the presence of his spirit. It'll just come out 
You'll have no choice. It's kind of like overfilling of a soda that it just kind of explodes out of you. May that be your experience this week, that his joy, his love, his patience, his mercy, his wisdom, all of his that will come out from the inside because you're obeying him because you love him. God bless you.